Well, welcome to the Insight Meditation Center of the Mid-Peninsula. I'm Jim Bronson, and I'm your Thursday night Dharma talker. Nice to see so many here this evening. What an amazing event this has been. It's not even one year since we moved into this center. And uh, new faces... New activities. It's very exciting. I'd like to ask a favor of all of you. I wonder if you could all kind of bring your chairs and move in closer. Since it's Thursday night and we don't have every bit of the space occupied, I'd like to have a sense of Sangha. Great, thank you so much. On Thursday nights at 6.15, there's an introduction to meditation. Tonight we were talking about uh, Vipassana practice. And at the end, uh, uh, one of the people uh, asked me, uh, how about meditating in a group? What's the impact of meditating in a group versus individually? I think it's such a good question. Um, If you ask the person on the street, maybe not in the Bay Area, but say the the general person on the street, I think they may say meditation is an individual process. It's something that you do uh, maybe in a monkish, monastic way, maybe uh, retiring to a darkened room or a cave or, you know, in some sense, this, this uh, separate individual process. And for me, uh, the experience of being part of this group for about the last five years has been that it's so enriched me having other people to sit with and to share practice with. So I really value uh, this opportunity to experience the Sangha. The three gems of Buddhism, the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. The Buddha, to me, meaning our inherent, innate ability to be awake, to not miss our lives as they go. And at the end, to wonder what happened, but to be awake, to be alert. So the Buddha historically was that person who 2,500 years ago is most identified as being what they call the light of Asia, the one who uh, was able to express what it's like to have an inner life in a way that captured people's attention. And he expressed what he had learned from this and how one could practice this inner life and and be more in touch with it. And that became known as the Dharma or the way. Some people call it the truth, but uh, the truth has a little bit of a moralistic right and wrong feel to it. And it's not a right and wrong thing. It's, it's what works. 
One of the things that really struck me about Buddhism when I first came close to it was this admonition that the Buddha said, try it in your life. Accept nothing uh, at face value. So the path, find the path that works for you, the Dharma. And then the Sangha. Benefit from those others who also seek as you do, also wish to be awake as you wish, and have learned things that help. So tonight, I want to focus on a kind of meditation and a lifestyle that I think it leads to. And to put a container on it, I uh, have thought of this bumper sticker, which I think is pretty expressive. And it says simply, meditation is not what you think. And I would like to expand that thought to intuitive living is not what you think. As practitioners, one of the joys of practice and also the great stumbling block of practice is thinking. This tool that we have to think, <clears throat> to juxtapose concepts and symbols and to understand uh, syllogisms. A leads to B leads to C and so forth. What a gift that we have that. And yet, also, like any strength, it can be a stumbling block if we hang on to it and if we can't get beyond it. So tonight, rather than talking down about thinking, which is uh, can be a challenge, uh, I'd like to talk up what expands beyond thinking and which contains thinking. And to me, that's a process that comes through meditation and it has to do with intuition. My thinking about this and being aware of it started with Gil and a couple of years ago at Jokoji. Let me just see the hands of those who have sat at Jokoji or know Jokoji. Anybody in the room? Great resource in the Bay Area. It used to be an old... Uh, school in the 60s for high school students, one of these unstructured schools that was up in the hills. And over the years, through an interesting and unpredictable series of events, it's ended up being a Zen monastery. (laughs) And it's a beautiful site out in the woods. And every year, this meditation group, IMCMP, for about the last four years, has had a retreat, uh, maybe an 8, 10, 12-day, maybe 14, I think, um, day retreat up at Jokoji. And Gil used to live just down the road from there, and so he would uh, come during the day and then go home at night, and it was really a nice opportunity for all of us. And this one year, a couple years ago, his topic was, innate intelligence, 
living with your innate intelligence. And he would come and uh, we'd have individual interviews during the morning and then he would give his Dharma talk after lunch, say two to three or something like that. And then he would go home and it uh, made it a nice retreat. We were all kind of senior enough that we could handle the rest of the retreat experience. But a remarkable thing for me was that Gil in his teaching would not prepare. So he was teaching innate intelligence using his innate intelligence. So the thought was, or the the concept was, that he was teaching from a prepared life rather than a prepared script or sequence of thoughts. And those Dharma talks were, I think, the most rich that I've ever experienced. And he would just simply meditate with us and, and, and then speak. So it was a <clears throat> an introduction to a way of being, trusting that every moment, whatever is needed will show up. And it's made me aware of a way of living intuitively. And certainly I don't want to cast aspersions at planning and preparation, all of which are really required. But are those sufficient into themselves? Maybe not. Maybe they're enriched by having an intuitive container within which they happen. And so tonight I want to have us touch this intuitive side of ourselves. Words that describe it are not thinking, not being separated, being alive in the moment, being fully present, sensing in the body. Suzuki Roshi, the great Zen master, has talked about the great reality or the big reality saying that as we move into our fully awake state, that there is a larger way of being in our lives. And that as we practice, it's this larger way that we're aiming at. My sweetie Zoe, who sits here in in front, has given me the gift of Hafiz, the, the poet from Persia, who uh, has such remarkable things to say. Uh, we, when we meditate together, often we'll start by having her hold this book of poetry from Hafiz. The book is called The Gift. And she'll let her fingers find a place in the book and let the, the pages fall open and then read what's there. And it's remarkable how often <clears throat> this seems so perfect that there's just something just right. So as I was thinking about this talk, this piece of Hafiz came to me that says about this innate intelligence. The poem says, Like a great starving beast, my body is quivering 
fixed on the scent of light. Like a great starving beast, my body is quivering, fixed on the scent of light. So this idea of there being already in this body this sense, and certainly we can educate this sense, we can help this sense, we can um, support this sense with preparation and and, uh, advancement in various ways. But we have it right from day one. How many of us no children that have that quality where you say, these are old souls. You look at them and they have eyes that have a depth and, a, and a, they have a calmness about them. And you just know that there's, there's something there, this, this sense that is fixed on light, fixed on something that goes beyond what sequentially they have encountered in their short lives. One of the great Tibetan masters, Tulku Rinpoche, talks about the great wisdom. He says, the great wisdom dwells in the body. Fully away from all thoughts, it dwells in the body, but is not produced by the body. In my experience, the body is a container, a a vessel, and it needs to be prepared. And if the container is prepared, then this great wisdom can dwell. We can be aware of the great wisdom that already dwells there. What distracts us? Modern life is filled with challenge, things beckoning. And it's so easy in my experience, to fall back on what I would call linear thinking or sequential thinking, if-then thinking. You know, if I just got more money, then I would have a bigger house. And if I got a bigger house, then I would be more content and be able to store all these things I've accumulated. And then I can travel and have a beautiful place to just, you know... If, 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 then. Reminds me of an experience I had with my youngest son where I was at work and the phone rang and a doctor from Stanford Hospital said, your son was just admitted to the emergency room with a head injury. Come quickly. And that was it. And so the thinking that I did in the next two or three hours, was not using my innate intelligence. And it was not dealing with the great wisdom. It was simply, there are some things that have to happen. I have to alert certain people, make these phone calls. I have to get there and find out some information. I have to check him in and make sure that he has the resources that he needs. So it's, it's very get-the-job-done implement. So this, this linear thinking or sequential thinking is so good at solving problems using this uh, approach when it's implementing quick 
rapid, fairly straightforward, you kind of know what's next, implementing. Drive the boat from A to B. The innate intelligence or the great wisdom, the sense that Hafiz talked about, <clears throat> is contains that. And it's a process that I think we feed every time we open our minds in meditation. If we create space inside, then that sense can be um, noticed. And every time we notice that sense, it feels good. It has a delicious quality. And it results in something that draws us back. I'll never forget the first time that I sat in meditation. I was a graduate student, and I had signed up for this course because it was kind of chic to try out meditation. And I thought, oh, cool, I'm going to try out meditation, and I'll have some stories next time I get together with my friends. And, uh, you know, I'll tell them this about this meditation class. Ha, ha, ha. And... Uh, Five minutes of meditation was like an eye-opener. <clears throat> and so, so much of, the, of what I've done in the rest of my life has been with the taste of this in mind, the, the sense of this. It's like once you've tasted broiled salmon, that's there. You can't forget broiled salmon. <laughs> So what happens to us in modern life? This is from the book Zen Heart by Kosumi Ginsho Roshi, a Zen teacher. He says, modern times are times of reason. Nevertheless, we have a lot of problems that can't be solved, apparently, by reason. Modern people love reason. It may seem to be desirable to emphasize reason in human action and to respect it. But is this enough to be content with? Shouldn't we touch that which lies beyond reason? If you leave aside conscious, conscience or reason, then the spiritual self-awareness that lies deep within can awaken and arise. This experience cannot be valued highly enough. That is why we practice. Well, for me, the useful approach to this has been in retreat. Jokoji was the beginning of this. Retreat offers some advantages. <clears throat> Those of you who have been on retreat know that uh, there can be some barriers, physical discomfort, uh, a monkey mind that races and brings up things that you had long since forgotten and uh, didn't realize you still were attached to, but there they are. <clears throat> but retreat is a safe place and, and a nurturing place where not much has to be attended to. So this linear 
reason process that gets things done and meets objectives isn't really needed. It drops away. And after that drops away, then there the, the spaciousness emerges. It's like a cocoon. And in that cocoon, stress disappears. And when the stress disappears, then there's something that feels very accepting. Not needing to get anywhere, not needing to be anything or accomplish anything. But nevertheless, it's very satisfactory, very um, rewarding. Really hard to describe. I remember after being at several retreats, talking to my family and saying, well, I'm going on a retreat. I'll be gone for, in one case, six weeks. And I remember them saying, oh, well, have a good time and enjoy yourself and, you know, have a good rest. And (laughs) not so, Ananda, (laughs) but how do you explain how satisfactory it can be to open up and to, to have a greater spaciousness so that what is me can be. How do you explain that? When I was in psychology class, I studied Abraham Maslow, and he talks about his hierarchy of needs and the idea being that once you fulfill needs at a low level, which he calls the survival level, then you can move on to the next level. Once you've assured that you have food and shelter and so forth, then you can move on to the next level. And the next one he refers to as something like safety or stability, having something that you can count on in your life, uh, a home, uh, relationships. And then the next one is self-expression. So that you <clears throat> project yourself out. You make something happen in the world and therefore learn more about yourself. And then the, as I recall the last one he talked about was self-actualization or another um, word would, or other words would be unwrapping our gifts or living inside out. And so it's this high level of the Maslow hierarchy that I think we're reaching for when we sit in silence and we open to spaciousness. We're really wanting to allow what is and to not condition it and not force it, but simply to notice it and be aware. And in this process, there's a healing. Remember studying a lot about uh, the way the body heals and <clears throat> realizing that <clears throat> bringing awareness often works. Just simply being aware is the beginning of a healing process. So if there is this inner sense and it reaches for light and it has a richness and a 
validity unto itself, whether it does anything or not. How do we live in this, this the, call it the big existence or the big reality? Suzuki Roshi in Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind has this to say. To be aware of the meaning of your life, you practice. It is necessary to practice. But the purpose of practice is to learn about ourselves and to forget about ourselves. When we forget ourselves, we actually are the true activity of the big existence or reality itself. When we realize this fact, there is no problem whatsoever in ourselves or in our world. So innate intelligence, being with it, has this quality of of bigness and, and largeness and realness and satisfactoriness. But it's not something that we can exactly make happen. We can provide the vessel, but what fills the vessel? And do we notice what's in it? The recent issue of Tricycle Magazine was focused on the body. And uh, I felt that this was uh, a wonderful statement that uh, a tradition that is so mind-oriented could direct its attention and devote this uh, all of this thought to the body. And in fact, the body um, being the vessel, being the space. So what I'd like to do is tell you a short story about how bodies um, have a, a an opportunity to bring awareness and then uh, actually practice it for a moment in silence. And this comes from some work that I do with children. Uh, I, there's an organization in Palo Alto that supports people that have had major loss, either through a death in the family or a major illness. And so I work with a children's group where they've lost a family member, either a mother or father, in these cases a near family member, uh, due to homicide or suicide. And when these kids come, the the challenge is how do you begin? Uh, what's the first step for a child who has had something really unthinkable and unimaginable happen in their life, the disappearance of, of that which they are so close to and so dependent on. And the first thing that we do is we ask them to complete a body map. We have an outline of a person's body, and we ask them to take colored pens and to make areas of the body different colors and then to code those areas. And so uh, one area may be coded orange, meaning it has a feeling of fear associated with it. 
Another area of the body may be coated blue and it has a feeling of peace associated with it. So we give some suggestions about what they may think of. And then we let them color in these parts of their body. And the result doesn't necessarily tell you anything. But the process of them doing it is really a restorative process. You can watch as they kind of direct their attention to parts of their body and they they get into their body. So challenging when we've had a major loss to process that loss and to, to think what does it mean and how can I go forward and what will I lose next? And so when the kids come, these are the kinds of things that they're wrestling with. How do I explain this to my friends who are thinking I'm pretty creepy because I've had this thing happen? Don't know how to relate to me. And so this body map is a chance to let them get in touch with their bodies. And in their bodies, invariably, they find that there is this sense and this spacious quality so that they then feel more in touch with knowing how to go forward, how to go next. That innate intelligence, knowing that no matter what has happened, what our loss, what our difficulty, that there's the the knowledge, the sense of what to do and how to proceed is already there. And it's really just a matter of listening for it, being aware of it. So I invite us all now to get into a meditative posture. And this will go for about six minutes, and then I'll say a few more things, and then I want to hear from all of you. So in our meditative posture, I invite you to close your eyes and get in touch with your breath and your body. And in the silence, let your mind move to various parts of your body and sense what's there and notice differences. Notice qualities. So at your own pace and moving wherever you choose, however you choose, take the next few minutes of silence to complete this scan of your body and notice what you sense, felt sense, physical sense, and also intuitive sense.
And after the silence, I'll ring the bell.
So this sense that's already in the body, that's just waiting to be noticed. Sharon Salzberg, who's coming, does anybody remember when she's coming? The 2nd of October? Saturday? No, 2nd of November, a Saturday. Um, teacher at the Insight Meditation Society in Bury, Massachusetts. She just finished a book called Faith. What's the full title of her book? I wrote the... Something like faith. Uh, where is it? Trusting your own deepest experience. Very much aware of this innate sense that we have, this intelligence that we have, and learning to trust it. She says. Something happens when we don't resist, when we don't hate ourselves for what we're experiencing. Our hearts open, and we realize we're not alone in our suffering. Even the suffering we begin to see is a vehicle for a larger sense of connection to all life. Once we have that, we have faith. I would say once we have that, we're in touch with that innate, call it intelligence, that innate sense, that compass that's always there. So before we talk about our own individual compasses, I have one more reading. This is from the current issue of Tricycle. And it's also Sharon. And she talks about, in in her book, she talks about three different kinds of faith. And the uh, question is, no matter whether you have faith or not, everybody suffers. Why do only some emerge from their suffering with faith? love, and compassion? It's an interesting question. We all suffer. Why do some of us emerge with something that's ennobling? Faith, love, compassion, wisdom. So her answer is, sometimes it's a moment of grace that leads to this and practice. As Trumpa Rinpoche said, grace, something that happens when we don't resist, when we don't stop ourselves. There's a larger sense of who we are and a larger connection to life. Once we have that, we may live spontaneously, intuitively, So once again, intuitive living, innate intelligence is not what you think. Thinking may lead to observations that are interesting about it, but it's not what you think. 
as we get beyond our thoughts into our minds, we find that there is this thirst, this direction, this uh, sense that seeks the light. And in the quiet, we notice it. And as we practice together and notice more and more of who we truly are, then our worlds expand. The vision I like is that it's not really that we're different later on. It's just that there's a container that holds all that we are. It was all there, but we didn't realize it. We didn't acknowledge it. The more we practice, the more we realize what all is there. And our container expands. So those are my thoughts for this evening. And we have a few minutes before nine. And so I would like to take just a short while to ask you to share your thoughts about living intuitively, innate intelligence, contacting that sense that's always in the body. Maybe you have a story about that. Maybe you experienced something in the silence. So this is a chance for me to hear from you. My last uh, innate intelligence was about three months ago. The thought popped into my mind, you don't have to watch television just because it's there. (laughs) I've watched it since and my life has been richer. So I don't know if, uh, where the thought came from. I thought, well, maybe that's uh, meditation has brought me this benefit. I don't know. But I had the thought and I acted on it and uh, life is better. (laughs) Interesting. Thank you.
then I'm looking at my own experiences, you know, there were times when, when uh, I was hungry, and, and, you know, and how sharp that makes you, how sharp going without a meal makes you, how, how you don't have to think about what you're going to do to, to earn money to get that money. It's just kind of like, you gravitate to, you're, you're shot like a cannon, right, to the, there's food. Yeah. You not look like food. Exactly, you have chosen to find yourself there. That's what, that was my experience in Canada. And they That focusing makes me think about the story about the Buddha when um, several practitioners came to him and they said, you know, um, we were really more motivated earlier on and uh, we now that we've gotten to be farther into the practice, we, we don't seem to have as much motivation. And uh, he said, well, you must pay better attention if you were paying full attention, you'd meditate like your hair was on fire. And uh, it strikes me that your thought is along those lines. When we're hungry, we seek food like our hair is on fire. And, uh, but in this life, we don't. We're not hungry. We have the opportunity to, to let another sense come, not just for food, but for something that's also nourishing and also also fulfilling. And if we really were aware of what was going on, we'd be meditating like our hair was on fire. Thanks. Okay, one last thought, and then we'll adjourn for this Thursday evening. Lynn. You know, to take things as they come, a fairly easygoing person. And I think my times in which I've had to, um, there have been a couple of times in the last couple of years where I've really had to take an active um, step off the path that I'm on. And that's, take, and that's taken a huge amount of paying attention to my guts. You know, what's, what's really inside? Mm. And I, get, I don't know if that's what you're referring to as your innate intelligence, mm. but there's like something really wrong with this picture, you know, that you have to kind of just take this big adjustment to your course. It's a very interesting thought because I think as we live more and more intuitively and with our innate intelligence, um, we have those things that
come, that uh, to be aligned and to be really in touch with ourselves, we do have to let some things go that maybe seemed pretty critical, hard to do. Yeah. And then in a moment of grace, we suddenly know that we don't need TV anymore. It drops away. Well, I wish you all very good in your practices. I wish that we may together bring more of this sense of the light to the world and that in our world we can all be safer and we can all move up that hierarchy so that we're not dealing with hunger and we're not dealing with the uh, basics of survival, but we can deal with what is also nourishing and also unfolding and maybe more necessary to the world, which comes from us innately living deeply who we are. Be well all and thanks for coming. See you all again.